Good morning, church. So very good to see you this morning. Happy New Year. What a wonderful, exciting uh, day to uh, not only celebrate a new week, but to celebrate a new year and to look forward to uh, the challenges, the opportunities that lie ahead, and to know that no matter what the future holds, no matter what this day or week or year holds, uh, we get to walk through it together, and especially together with the Lord. And I love you, and I am so thankful uh, to walk through life with you. Thank you for being who you are and letting the Lord use you the way that you do. We, we sort of take for granted, I think, having English Bibles. We, we have an abundance of English Bibles today. We, we probably all have access. You probably have many printed copies of the Bible in your home. Obviously, there are some under the, the seats around us. There are English Bibles all around us. You have probably access to a smartphone or a tablet where you can download countless English Bibles. But there was a time where that idea that every person would have access to the Bible in English was just a dream. In fact, in 16th century England, it was illegal to make an unauthorized English copy of the Bible. It was illegal to make a, an English Bible. There was a man by the name of William Tyndale, and he was determined that he was going to translate the Bible into English and make that available to everyone. In fact, he told a priest at one point that he was going to see to it, if the Lord spared his life, that every boy pulling the plow or pushing the plow would know the Bible even better than that priest did. He was going to make sure that everyone had access to the Bible, and he, he did. He worked very hard to make sure that the Bible got translated into English, but because of his efforts, he was condemned as a heretic, and he was burned at the stake. His dying words were a prayer that the Lord would open the eyes of the King of England. But his, his English translation would go on to be sort of the foundation of the King James version of the Bible. And we now, of course, have access to the Bible in English and in so many different languages because of people like that. And I, I think about what was it that caused a person like William Tyndale to do what he did? even though it cost him his life. And I would say the word that best describes that is faith. Faith. And I want us this year to focus on that word faith, but, but maybe sort of re-examine what we mean when we say the word faith or when we hear the word faith. Let, let's talk about that for a second. What, what is faith? What is faith? What, what do you think of when you hear the word faith? I think we, we think of a lot of different things, and I kind of want to just ask, is this what you mean when you hear the word faith? Do we think that faith is just belief in God's existence? Sometimes that's what we, we think of, and certainly faith includes that. But is that all faith means? Is it acceptance of an idea without proof or evidence? Sometimes that's how we use the word faith. We say, well, you just have to take it on faith, meaning we don't have any proof or evidence of that. But that's not a very good definition of faith. Is it, is it trust in God's help? Sometimes we talk about it that way. Well, you just have to have faith that this is going to work out. You just have to have faith that God's going to fix this or, or do this thing. But there's more to it than that. Is it confidence in a religious system? 
through which God forgives sins. Sometimes that's what we mean by faith. We mean that, that, that we have confidence that if we do certain things, that God will do certain things in return. But I would, I would argue that none of these, even though these are very popular ways of using the word faith, none of these really capture what Scripture means by faith, what the New Testament authors especially mean by faith. I, I, I'm very thankful for a book that I read this past year called Salvation by Allegiance Alone by Matthew Bates. I, I, I would recommend it. It's not a perfect book, of course, but, but I've been very thankful for this idea that's becoming very popular, that an understanding that, that faith is more than just something that happens in your head or in your heart, that, that faith is allegiance. That yes, it includes things like belief and trust, that, that's certainly included in the idea of faith, but also included in the idea of faith is allegiance. It is an understanding, an acceptance that Jesus is king and then because he is king and because God has done what he has done through Jesus, that you are pledging your allegiance to him and you are being loyal to him. And that's why our theme this year is loving loyalty. That's what we're going to be talking about all year long is loving loyalty. Because that's, that's really what faith is. It is this unshakable commitment in response to God's unmerited favor. So God has shown us unmerited favor. We call that grace, right? God has shown us grace. God has given us these gifts unmerited. We don't deserve them. We'll never deserve them. We can't earn them. God has blessed us through Jesus. And because God has done what he has done, we respond to God by pledging our allegiance to King Jesus and then living loyally to him, loving him, being committed to him, knowing that there's going to be highs and there's going to be lows, there's going to be good times, there's going to be bad times. We may very well have to give our life, but that's no more than he has done for us. And because of what he's done for us, we say, I will be loyal to Jesus. And that is really at the heart of faith. We're going to spend the next few weeks going through Hebrews 11, but before we go through Hebrews 11, that may be a passage that you're very familiar with, what we call the hall of faith, all of these great men and women of faith and all the things that they did by faith. But before we get there, just kind of want to set it up and help us to realize what the book of Hebrews is really talking about. And one of the themes in the book of Hebrews is this idea of hold fast, hold fast. Because the, the Hebrew writer, whoever the Hebrew writer was, we don't know, but the Hebrew writer is writing to Christians who are right on the brink of losing their faith. Things have gotten really hard, and they can't see beyond the difficulty of the moment. And maybe, maybe there's some of us that we have felt that way. Like, it's not that we, we don't believe in God anymore, but, but maybe because things are so difficult, maybe we don't believe in this way anymore. Or maybe just the idea of walking in the path that Jesus proclaims in the Sermon on the Mount seems out of touch 
with the reality that you're living. This turning the other cheek, this going the extra mile, this this being meek and, and gentle and loving and kind, these people at this time are, are losing faith in Jesus and the way of Jesus. In fact, it seems that many of them kind of want to go back to the Judaism that they grew up with, go back to temple worship, because that's at least something that they can see. They can see that. This way of Jesus is hard to see. And so the Hebrew writer is writing to them, is preaching to them, hold fast, hold fast. And that's a message I think that we need to hear today, isn't it? And maybe this year, maybe this year, there'll be moments where you need to remember those two words, hold fast. No matter what comes, hold fast. Hold fast to Jesus and hold fast to the way of Jesus. So you'll, you'll see this phrase several different times in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3 and verse 6, we are God's house if, if indeed we hold fast our confidence. In chapter 4 and verse 14, let us hold fast our confession. Chapter 6 and verse 18, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Chapter 10 and verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. See, that's what faith is all about. Faith is all about hold fast, hold fast, hold on tight. It's like a roller coaster ride sometimes, isn't it? Life is like a roller coaster ride sometimes. And you got to hold on tight. Hold on tight to Jesus. Hold on tight to the way of Jesus. Because faith isn't just something that happens in your head and in your heart. It does happen there. It starts there. It, it, it can't be faith without what's happening in your head and in your heart. But it's lived out in your life, in your endurance. Hold on. Be faithful. Be loyal. Give your allegiance to Jesus and don't give up. Don't give up when things get hard. Don't give up when things get discouraging. Remember who you are. Remember what's been done for you. Remember what God has promised to you. Remember what the future holds. Remember who he is. Remember what he's given you. And that's what the Hebrew writer is telling them. Remember. And because you remember, hold on tight to Jesus. Hold on tight to his way. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12 says it this way. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that none of you have an evil, unfaithful heart that abandons the living God. Most translations say an unbelieving heart. But but see, that's, that's the idea, that belief is about faithfulness, and unbelief is about faithlessness being unfaithful to God. It isn't that they were on the brink of becoming atheists. They weren't on the brink of becoming atheists. They were on the brink of abandoning God because they abandoned Jesus to go back to what they grew up with because this way of Jesus was hard and they couldn't see anything but the difficulty. They couldn't see anything but the challenge because that's what's right in front of you most of the time, isn't it? What you can see are the things that hurt, are the things that scare you, are the things that threaten you, are the things that threaten your family. And they were surrounded by these kinds of threats. 
And so he warns them and encourages them and admonish them, watch out so that none of you have an evil, unfaithful heart that abandons the living God. Don't abandon God. Because it's possible that even after you come to faith in Jesus, even after you pledge your allegiance to Jesus in baptism, even after you say, yes, I'll be loyal forever, to be like the Israelites who came out of slavery and then wandered in the wilderness and then became unfaithful to God. And they abandoned him. It's possible for you and I to do the same thing. And so the Hebrew writer is admonishing them and continues to admonish us, be loyal to Jesus. Watch out. Watch out. Make sure that in all of us, there is not an evil, unfaithful heart that abandons the living God. So I want to get to Hebrews 11, but before we get there, we kind of have to start earlier than that. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. And verse 32, that's where I want to begin this morning. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 32. He says this, But recall the former days, when after you were enlightened, that is, after you came to faith in Jesus, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. See, he's encouraging them to keep enduring. And in order to encourage them to keep enduring, to be loyal, to be faithful, to keep their allegiance to Jesus, he reminds them, remember. Remember how in the beginning, when you first pledged your allegiance to King Jesus, your loyalties were tested. And we, we have so much of that in the, in the book of Acts, don't we? how their loyalties were tested, and he reminds them, remember, you were, you were horribly treated when you first came to Jesus, and your loyalties were tested, and you proved true, you proved faithful, you held on, you endured, keep doing that. So many times you can look back at your past, can't you, and, and say, when I first became a Christian, maybe you were really young when you did that, you were first baptized into Jesus and you were so excited and so passionate and so zealous and you just couldn't wait to be on fire for Jesus and do all of these great things for Jesus. But then life happened, didn't it? And things got hard and things got challenging and you need somebody to remind you, remember when you pledged your allegiance to the king and you said, for you, for you only, I'm gonna live, I'm gonna live my life for Jesus no matter what happens. And then life happened. And maybe right now, life is happening in a very real and challenging way. And that's what's going on for, for this audience. And he says, remember what you've already endured and keep enduring. Verse 34, for you had compassion on those in prison and you, listen, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. See what he says? He says, this is what loyalty to King Jesus looks like. And you had it. You were those kind of people. And when they came and they took your stuff away, they plundered your property, you joyfully accepted it. You counted yourself as blessed 
Because you were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And you said, this is wonderful. This is what Jesus said was going to happen. And this proves that I'm on Jesus' side and I'm with Jesus. And I get to suffer with Jesus and suffer with Jesus' people. But that was a, that was a while back. That was a few years ago. And now you're tired. And maybe you're thinking, I didn't know I'd go on this long. It was fine to suffer for a day or two, or a week or two, or a month or two, or a year or two. But I thought it'd be easier by now. And I didn't know it would still hurt so bad. I didn't know it'd still be so challenging. I didn't know that things were going to even get worse than they were before. But he reminds them, remember what you went through. Remember what you sacrificed. Remember what you gave up. Remember your attitude when you suffered those things. You joyfully accepted it. And why did you do that? Why were you willing to do that? Faith. Faith. Because you knew that you had a better possession. You knew that you had an abiding possession. You said, so what if you break into my house and you take my things? If I forfeit my property because I follow Jesus? So what? I have a house, a home not built with hands. I have a city from God that's coming. I know what God has prepared for me. I know that the meek will inherit the earth. I know that God has made these promises to me because I'm one of his people. And you knew that you had a better possession. You knew that you had an abiding possession. You said, psh, doesn't matter that you take this away from me. It was going to rot anyway. It's going to decay anyway. But you can't take away my real home. You can't take away my real treasure. You can't take away my real city. You can't take away my real citizenship. You can't take away my real family. Because that lasts forever. And because you knew that, because of your faith, you were loyal to King Jesus. In the face of losing all of your material possessions. I mean, we got to stop right there, don't we, and think, would we be loyal in that situation? Would we joyfully accept the plundering of our property because we know that we have a better and abiding possession? Are we so confident about what the future holds that we endure in the present? Because that's what faith is. Faith is being loyal in the present because you know The future. We said last week, didn't we? That Christians are time travelers. We've seen the future. We know what the future holds. In fact, our job is to be a foretaste of the future age, the age to come right now in the present. And he says, you were willing to accept all of that, to be mistreated that way, because you know what the future holds. His point, of course, is keep, keep doing that. Keep joyfully accepting the plundering of your property because you know that you have a better and abiding possession. Look at verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. See, that's what faith is. Faith is this endurance versus what? Throwing away your confidence. That's unbelief. It's throwing away your confidence. 
Now, he speaks here of reward, reward. And sometimes we're a little uncomfortable with that, aren't we? Reward? We th- we th- I, th- I thought salvation was by faith. If salvation is by faith, how can there be a reward? Well, again, that's why it's so important that we understand what faith is. Faith isn't perfection. It's not that you've done everything perfectly, morally. It doesn't mean that you've done all of the righteous deeds that you should have done. It means that you are loyal. And there is a reward for loyalty. I mean, it's like, it's like being a, a husband. I am not a perfect husband. Ask my wife. She'll t- well, she probably won't tell you, but it's true. I'm not a perfect husband. I, ask my boys. They'll tell you I'm not a perfect father. I'm far from a perfect father but I am faithful. I will not betray my family. I will not abandon my family. And that's what it is to to have faith. That is what it is to be a person of faith. That is what it is to live by faith. It's not about being perfect. It's about being loyal. I will not abandon Jesus. I will not betray Jesus. I will hold on. I will hold fast. I will not throw away my confidence. But there's days that will test that loyalty. There are days that will test your allegiance. There are moments that will test you. And what the Hebrew writer is saying to them and to us is hold fast. Be faithful. Don't throw away your confidence. Verse 37. For yet a little while... And the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. In other words, the righteous one will survive by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. You see what the opposite of faith is in this context? What's the opposite of faith? Shrinking back. Shrinking back. Throwing away our confidence. Failing to endure. Faith is enduring. Holding on. Hold on tight. Don't abandon the Lord. Don't abandon the commitment that you made. It's calling us back to the pledge of allegiance that we made when we were baptized. When you were baptized, you were pledging your loyalty and allegiance to King Jesus. You were saying, he he sits on the throne. And I want him more than anything else in the world. And I will pursue him. And I will be faithful to him. And I will be loyal to him. And he, of course, will continue to wash away my sins. He will continue to bless me and he has an inheritance for me and I trust that and I believe that and I will be committed to him and I won't throw away my commitment to him. See, the opposite of faith is we throw that away and we say, never mind, I'm done. Now, there are too many people that teach that once you've come to faith that that's that's always the way that it will be, but the Hebrew writer has a different story to tell us, doesn't he? He says, it's possible after you've you've come to Jesus and been saved by him for you to lose and throw away and abandon your commitment to him. Don't do it. Because if you shrink back, you will be destroyed. 
The only way to preserve your soul, the only way to receive the reward is hold on to Jesus. Are we saved by grace through faith? Absolutely we are. It is a gift that he gives. But in order to receive it now and forever, you got to hold on to him. you got to be loyal to him. It's in that context that we now hear the words of chapter 11. Now listen to chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. See, faith is living in the present with confidence about the future. Even though you can't see the future, can you? If you could see the future, I, I want to know it, you know, because that would be nice, wouldn't it? But with our eyes, we can't see the future. But we have assurance about it. We have confidence about it. It's living in the present with confidence about the future. See, you can't see the God you believe in. You can't see Jesus on his throne. You can't see the new Jerusalem. You can't see the new heavens and new earth. But you're confident about them. You're assured of them. You're living your life in light of that reality because of God's promises. That's what faith is. Faith is being loyal and allegiant and faithful in the present because you know what the future holds even though you can't see it. It's unseen. God is unseen. Jesus is unseen. The Spirit of God who lives in you is unseen, but you believe these things. Verse 2, for by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. There was a time when none of this that you can see was, was real. None of it existed. And God made everything you do see out of what is unseen. That means that God isn't restrained by what you can or can't see. But sometimes we think he is, don't we? Because all we see is the painful, scary things. We, we see war, don't we? We see the war in Ukraine. We see the war in Gaza. We see conflict even here all around us. We see political strife and animosity and bitterness. We see racism. We see hatred. We see discord. We see violence. We see these things. These are the things that we can see. We, we see the pain in our own bodies. We see the pain in the bodies of the people that we love. We see sickness. We see death. These are the things that we see. But the Hebrew writer is encouraging them to see beyond what they can see, to know beyond what is visible, to say, yes, you can't see God, but God is bigger than what you can see. God made everything that is seen out of what is unseen. God isn't restrained by what you can see with your eyes. So don't focus all your attention on that. Don't focus all of your attention on what can be seen. Realize, be assured of, be confident of what is 
unseen because what is unseen will one day be visible. You can't see the God you love. You can't see the Jesus you follow. But one day you will see him. Live your life right now in light of that day. Verse 4, by faith Abel, Cain and Abel, Cain killed his brother Abel. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Genesis chapter 4. Now notice, as we go through this chapter, over and over again, the Hebrew writer will say, so-and-so did this by faith. By faith, he did this. See, faith isn't just something that stays up in your head. Faith drives us and moves us to action. And Abel offered a sacrifice to God. Why? To please the one he couldn't see. He couldn't see God either, but he offered a sacrifice to please him. And the Hebrew writer says, even though Abel is dead, his faith, his loyalty to God still speaks. And it reminds us, even if you have to give your life, even if it costs you everything, live for him. Do his will. Do his will, even if it costs you everything. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Enoch didn't have to die. Why? Because he spent his life as God's friend. He walked with God. He loved God. Even though he couldn't see God, he lived for God. He lived to please God. He lived to please the one he couldn't see, and then he could. And then he could see him. And the Hebrew writer is telling his audience and telling us, live for the one you can't see, and one day you will see him. One day you will see him. In fact, one day everyone will see him. One day everyone will see Jesus. And at that point, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Live your life right now in light of that reality. Be faithful right now, even though you can't see your heavenly father, even though you can't see your teacher, your rabbi Jesus, even though you cannot see the Holy Spirit who comforts you and dwells in you, even though you can't see the forgiveness of your sins, you recognize those realities. Live your life in light of those realities. Be faithful to him, and one day you will see him. Verse 6, he says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. See, faith is it's believing that God exists even though you can't see him, and it's also believing that he rewards those who seek him. That's faith. Faith is believing in the one you can't see and believing that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So that's it. Seek, seek, even when you can't see. Seek him, even when you can't see him. Seek Jesus, 
Even when you can't see Jesus, seek the Father. Even when you can't see the Father, seek the city that is to come. Even when you can't see the city that is to come, seek. Even when you can't see. Because what you can see is just a small portion of reality. And what you can see will all one day pass away. But there is an age to come, a world to come, a city to come, a king to come, that right now you can't see. Seek him, even when you can't see him. And there is a reward for that kind of faithfulness, loyalty. See, that's the life to which you were pledging yourself when you were baptized. Maybe somebody here hasn't made that commitment yet. And maybe you're ready to make that commitment, to pledge your love and your life and your loyalty to King Jesus, to walk with him. You won't be perfect when you come up out of that water. You won't live perfectly when you come up out of that water, but you will be forgiven and you will continue to be forgiven so long as you hold fast to him, be loyal to him. And maybe there's some of us here that have already made that commitment, but we need to recommit ourselves to Jesus. Pledge our love and our life and our loyalty to him once again. Or maybe we just need to be reminded to seek even when you can't see. If we can help you, if we can pray for you, if we can help you put Jesus on in baptism, whatever we can do, our shepherds would love to meet with you in the prayer room or you can come forward now. Let's together we stand, sing this song.